Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Superbase had their own release week while Livebook was having theirs. We talked with Paul Copplestone about how Elixir plays a central role at Superbase in episode 73. I have a link in the show notes for that. But what was interesting is Paul shared one of his favorite Superbase announcements, and it's called dbdev. And it is a package manager for Postgres. Yes, kind of like a, an NPM package manager for JavaScript, but this is for versioned Postgres extensions. And it's not specifically tied to Supabase, so this could be potentially general for anyone who has a Postgres database. And what's kind of fun is the little packages are called PGLets, L-E-T-S, so it's like you kind of pronounce it piglets, <laughs> and they're Postgres applets. And so now this is really early. The package registry is read-only at this time, but they have populated it with a number of extensions to get people started. And there's a blog post that goes deeper into it. And it actually has a database.dev website that's dedicated for this purpose. And I thought that was just really cool. It's very interesting. You know, you talk about these different extensions that are available in Postgres, and then you're like, well, how do I get this installed? Something like this could be really helpful. Yeah, installing a database in extensions usually involves like DevOps. You probably have to install some stuff on your host system. <laughs> it's never really that straightforward. So this is a welcome addition. I'm very excited about it. You'd still need some initial help getting the DB dev installer, like the bootstrapping thing in place, but then going from there to the next plugin or extension would not be as hard. Well, next up, Elixir Conf EU happened. And as you may or may not be aware, Jose Villim spoke and he recently shared his live book notebook he used during his talk. While the recording is not available at the time of this recording, it might be coming out soon. You can at least review what he talked about on his notebook. There was also a nice tweet in case you don't want to jump into the live book. There's a tweet by Visual Partnership. If you've ever been to one of these Elixir comps before, you've probably seen these like nice illustrations that this person creates. And it goes into all the things that Jose talked about. Looks like he talked about Elixir 115 with OTP 26. Continue talking about journey to types and set theoretic types. Some more live book improvements like what well, looks like a Kino might be getting an interactive debugger. I know that the debugging in Livebook has been you know, pretty interesting with like drag and drop parts of like the DBG call, which is pretty cool. As anyone can guess, Jose's talks about Elixir are always really interesting. So looking forward to the recording. And next up, a new Livebook Kino diff feature makes it easy to visually display the diff between two strings in Livebook. So this was a community contribution, and you can check out a link to the tweet with a, a picture of this in the show notes. So really, the way I imagine this would be used is you have something that's generated some text, and you're maybe two different ways, and you want to visually get a better difference of what it is rather than just kind of like scan it. And it doesn't actually look like a git diff. It's not like that kind of a diff, but it does give you a nice visual difference of like this section is green, this was added, and this section of this text was read and was removed. It's a nice, fun addition. And it looks like Erlang OTP 26 RC3 has been released. This is the final release candidate before OTP 26, unless something huge is found. So by the time you hear this, it might have already been released. So since we're talking about OTP 26, let's, uh, let's talk about what's in it. 
Um, the Erlang folks created a new blog post on their website called More Optimizations in the Compiler and the JIT. So what are those improvements? So the, the blog post summarizes it, but here's some bigger points in it. For example, OTP25, the compiler was updated to embed type information in the beam file, and the JIT was expected to emit just you know, better code based on that type information. But there were limitations in both the compiler and the JIT that prevented a lot of those optimizations. Well, in OTP26, the compiler will now produce better type information, and the JIT will take better advantage of the improved types you know that are in there. Some examples are like, you might write a function, but then you, you don't really put a, a guard on it. But if you put a guard on it, like when is binary in your argument, that is actually type information that now the compiler can make more efficient. So now it doesn't have to check, you know, other things once it's compiled. So the most noticeable performance improvements in OTB26 are better matching, construction of binaries using the bit syntax. And these combined with the changes in the base64 module makes encoding to base64 about four times as fast and decoding about three times as fast. So that's pretty awesome. You may not realize it, but base encoding actually happens more often than you might think (laughs) when you're talking about like cryptographically. So this is going to be a good release. I'm very much looking forward to it. And another item of Erlang Focus News, a new library called Erl Fuzz was released. So it is a fuzzer that focuses on hardening the Erlang compiler, VM, and other tooling. And so far, it has found almost 100 bugs, thanks to this tool. Because Elixir is so intertwined with Erlang, this tool and others like it are a benefit to both communities. So it's very cool. So if you're familiar with a fuzzer, it's just where it says, I know some of the rules around this language and these types and these, I have some awareness of this domain, and I'm just going to throw what should be valid for the type and valid for the function, just throw garbage at it in really unexpected ways, like super small data or super huge data or different types than what it's expecting, but it's allowed, things like that. And then you just kind of use that to help find where are there bugs that could potentially be exploitable. Reminds me of property testing, but like a bit more malicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, Avadni Wu released an Elixir example application that walks through a variety of Elixir ML operations. All right, this is what, what she describes it as, is end-to-end showcase of ML ops for the Elixir ecosystem. What is ML ops? This is from Wikipedia. <laughs> this is focused primarily on the governance and lifecycle management of a wide range of operationalized artificial intelligence and decision models, including machine learning, knowledge graphs, rules, optimization, linguistic, and agent-based models, and, end quote. If you still don't know what that means, let me just give you a practical example. If you're trying to use a model, like let's say Whisper, and you want to use that against some MP3s, well, to do that in a easy way, there's like a bajillion things that you have to do to set that up. First of all, you have to get the model. You have to get the MP3s. There's limitations in the models where you have to chop it up into like 20 second chunks or something. But not only that, you got to like figure out how to get the MP3s to cut at the right moments. Maybe when there's no noise or something along those lines, you have to have a website that can submit the, the MP3s. If you're talking about video processing, you might need to stream the, the video. There's all sorts of things around operationalizing this artificial intelligence. So this website, this code base called the Hot Dog Emporium, includes all of these kinds of examples. Examples like node clustering, an entry point for HTTP traffic, like 
the TLS is offloaded to a load balancer, a live view website, WebRTC ingress and orchestration for inference workloads. You've got the membrane framework in there exposing RTP endpoints, a facade which holds image conversion logic via eVision, which is used for futurization like pre-processing. You've got object detection capabilities via YOLO v5. You've got orchestration via S-Broker and implemented with PyTorch using a custom C++ program. And lastly, an image classification capabilities via Bumblebee and the Microsoft ResNet 50 model. Oh my gosh. So there's so, so much. So many big words. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. So smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, if you've ever had to deal with any of these nifty things that are being thrown at you, you just realize that it's usually a lot more complicated than if than it sounds, right? So this is a good application to break it down. And next up, in our last episode, we talked about Sobolo, the security-focused Elixir and Phoenix code scanner. And we wanted to pass along a Paraxial I.O. blog post that serves as a guide to fixing Sobolo findings. So when Sobolo finds something and says, hey, I have a high confidence that you have a problem here with this particular type of issue, Michael Lubis wrote up a guide to help figure out what does that mean and what do I do about it? He has a blog post that shows how Paraxial customers will get a nice explanation in their reports. But also, Michael created a Paraxial Sobolo guide on GitHub, which is a readme that details a lot of these different findings, what they mean, and practical code examples for how to deal with them and go about fixing those. So that's very cool. I appreciate that. And it's a great follow-up to our last episode, which you should totally listen to if you haven't. And last up, we wanted to share a project from a fellow listener. I'm so sorry if I butcher your name, but Woot Pusselaire shared with us a project called Live Svelte. It's a way to put Svelte into live view seamlessly with end-to-end reactivity. It has some interesting features like end-to-end reactivity, live view, server-side rendering, And you might think, well, the first time you render, it's usually a dead view, but he's covered that with some server-side rendering. So really interesting project if you're interested. I know a lot of times I personally always just try to stick with live view, but every once in a while, if you're going deep into something really complicated, sometimes you just need to branch out and just take the full power of JavaScript into your hands and just remember with great power comes great responsibility. So here's a cool project to help enable that. And that's it for the news. Elixir and Phoenix are incredible. They make it possible to quickly build highly resilient and reliable systems capable of operating at incredible scale. Fly.io is a great place to host Elixir apps. You can deploy your app to multiple regions around the world with a private network linking them all together so your app can cluster and globally do some incredible Phoenix magic. Give your users a more responsive UI while writing less code and moving the app closer to your users without needing an ops team. Check out fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Wukash, which you may better know as Howlith or Howlit online. Wukash, thank you for coming and joining us. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to talk to you today because recently you closed a three and a half year old bug on Elixir a major undertaking. As soon as I saw this, I was like, oh, I really want to understand what's going on here. This is the bringing together of the Erlang and Elixir loggers. They've been separate for a long time. I really want to understand the history behind this and what this change means and when we're seeing it. But before we do that, 
Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? I live in Poland, like quite a lot What from what I have seen Elixir developers. Currently, I am working for Eiger. It is a consulting company for blockchain services. My current project is, isn't very complex. It is very nice project for me to learn live view because I never had an opportunity to learn it. So right now I'm learning Phoenix live view. I am trying to get back with my projects like mix unused or systemd integration, which I find quite useful for myself. Nice. So just to outline what those two projects do is you have mix unused, which, well, you, you tell us you made it. What is, what does mix unused do? Mix unused is meant as a additional compiler for Elixir, which provides you with information about unused functions in your code, because by default, Elixir only supports warnings about functions that are unused in a way that you have private function that is unused. And there you will have a warning that this function is probably unused, but there is no way to have that globally, mostly because how Erlang and Elixir works. So it can be that at any time such function is called by dynamic approach, or it is used dynamically, or maybe you just wanted that function to be exposed because you are writing library. And sometimes you want to expose that the such functions as well. So my idea here was to be able to check which functions from my project are unused by static checkings of all called functions. And it was mostly like I wanted to learn how to use compiler tracing. Yeah. So I write that, fa- that, 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 that project because why not? It is very, <laughs> it, it is quite useful for, for, for some people. I just need to get back on it and update it a little bit. That, maybe require me to look more into uh, lib libgraph i believe because that library seems a little bit unmaintained and during the advent of code i have found some improvements that boost uh, the uh, bellman for algorithm like 10 or 20 percent something like that Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know we're here to talk about the, the logger. Well, I'll, I'll get there in just a second too. But you had the other one of the system D one. And I remember this one being pretty helpful because, you know, early on I was, I was learning about OTP and then how to start it and maintain, you know, that my application is working on the server. My first deployment had my Elixir application started with a system D you know, supervisor basically, right? And so there's a way that most Linux systems will run systemd and that systemd also then, you know, manages that your processes are running in a certain way and that it's, you know, it it quits appropriately or restarts appropriately, all that kind of stuff. And you have a library that will scaffold up a way for systemd to talk to your Elixir and Erlang program on how to shut down appropriately. So I found that, really helpful as well. It's a missing link, right? Easy to forget. And like, I mean, it could be depending on your application, it could be something that's not too critical if it shuts down incorrectly. But 
you know, it always bugs me sometimes when you have, when you're just shutting down the computer and, and your application thinks something catastrophic is happening and it's just not like draining the queues or something. It's just like completely, you know, kill nine, this kind of process. And it, it just abruptly stops. So your library ties this application into the uh, OS a little bit better. So I appreciate your work there too. That was a really good library. About that one, that is a little bit connected to what we will be talking about today. Oh, awesome. Because I wanted to provide proper interface to Logger. So your journal will contain all the information from from your service with metadata, which is for me quite important thing because mostly I started working on Logger because I wanted to have structured logging in Elixir which is for me super helpful, super useful, but from what I have seen, not many people are aware of it and not many people are using it in a way that bring all of its potential to to their applications. When you say structured logging, let me see if I understand what you're saying. What that sounds like to me is normally a log comes out like a log message. And if it's, especially if it's an error, it might be just a large blob of text with line returns. So it's going to take up multiple lines of text for this one message. And more structured logging would be to say, oh, this is all one message. We want to chunk that into one thing, even though it covers multiple lines. Is that part of what you're talking about, at least? Yeah, it is partially that. The simplest message that uh, we can describe that where it, there is a difference, like when you start your Phoenix application and you see that endpoint started and it is listening on address, whatever. So that is a text that is readable by the human operator, but for the machine, it means nothing. It is like just a blob of whatever and you probably would need to somehow to parse it or whatever to extract that, that information. In the structured logging, you log, for example, a map. In most cases, it will be a map in Elixir. So you log a map and there you store information like we listen on this address, on this port, and this is the dead point that started whole thing. And then you can have additional formatter that will provide the same textual information that you have but you can produce, for example, your logging system, uh, your logging backend or handler or whatever you call it, then can produce, for example, JSON file with all that information ready for a uh, computer to parse. So you will not have that intermediate step where you change computer-readable information into text And then on the other uh, side of the pipe, there is a guy who is parsing it again to human from human format to machine readable format. So yeah, I had that um, idea to provide more of communication between machine and machine in Elixir, like provide output from the compiler that would be readable by the GitHub. So you'll have a better information about warnings or any failures in your uh, compilation step that would be then processed further by the GitHub. So they, for example, can show you that nice information in your div view. So 
that is like or intertwined with each other where I wanted to uh, have that structure locking in Elixir for some time, but it was like uh, not not fully possible. That covers a lot of, I think, your motivations for why this change needed to happen, which I think is really cool. I want to back up a little bit and talk about before this change of unifying them, maybe we can get a little bit better picture of how they were separate. Like what was the Erlang logger and how is that different from the Elixir logger that we were familiar with? Okay, so uh, starting all the way down uh, in the prehistory of Elixir, <laughs> where we were all running uh, OTP 18 or OTP 19, or pre- probably even earlier, there was no logger in Erlang. Simply, there was no logger for general pool purpose logger. There was error logger, which was like meant for uh, all that SAS, SASL messages with all the stuff that was going over there. And it was mostly textual. So if you had, if you wanted logger in Erlang, you probably were using logger. So you're you're using a library. It wasn't built into the beam, right? Yeah, it was a library. It is it is still in the wild. It is like but because Erlang got logger in OTP twenty one, there is like less need for it. But it is still over there and it is still not fully integrated with Erlang. So so I just want to clarify that's lagger. Lagger, yeah. Yeah, yeah, la- lagger. I, okay, I, I didn't realize that, that that was, a, there was no real locker in Erlang. I always wondered what lagger was about in yes. Erlang. Why did I need <laughs> lagger in there? And it had had to do with the Sassel uh, reporting, like you mentioned, and tying that into Elixir. Oh, gosh, this is all coming together. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not fully that into history how Elixir logger came to life, but from what I found in the internet or uh, what I remember, it was just that Jose wanted to have a library built in Elixir that could provide uh, logging facilities that would be like direct and useful for Elixir developers without depending on external libraries. So that is how Logger came to life. And it was mostly, from what I have read, it it was based on uh, a lager. But it was very simplified down and easier way to write uh, logging in Elixir. So that was the state. We have no real logger in Erlang. For Erlang, we needed an external library. And for Elixir, we have logger. And there were some libraries to connect between logger and uh, lagger in the past. But then OTP21 came with that idea, okay, we'll have real logger in Erlang with all that stuff like additional levels and structured logging, metadata, handling processes, handling formatting independently from the uh, transport protocols and whatever. And I, I believe it was Elixir one nine one ten at the time, so they added the uh, compatibility layer. So this implementation were still separate, but the Elixir logger could ingest some information from Erlang logger and present it in Elixir backends. But it was like subpar implementation, at least for me because right now when i was 
integrating Elixir and Erlang in what some of my projects, I needed to use Elixir Logger for backends to have all the information that I have. But a lot of logging was happening in Erlang. And also Erlang implementation was more powerful than Elixir implementation because it provided me additional information and structure logging and whatever. So I decided that, okay, let's dig in and check what is going on under the hood and try to make the logger, the Elixir logger, like a thin wrapper over Erlang logger. So all messages from Elixir will pass through Erlang logger and it will be then spit back to Elixir backends, which will be handled as a compatibility layer to not break the uh, current implementation. And also, to be honest, right now, with no additional libraries, it is way easier to write good implementation of Elixir backend than to write uh, Erlang handlers, because Erlang handlers, for example, do not have built-in overload protection right now. So you can easily DOS your own system with your <laughs> log messages if you do it incorrectly. I, I kind of remember that now that, uh, yeah, the Elixir logger is probably going to get it wrong, but I'll simplify it to a, a, a gen server with a buffer. It will warn you when that can't keep up anymore. And so Oh, I, I assumed incorrectly that that was uh, something to do with Erlang, but apparently <laughs> Erlang at that time didn't even have a locker. Are you saying that buffer overflow protection needs to go upstream into Erlang, or do you, do you think that would be a good idea? There is like overload protection system in Erlang, the, the, the module that provided. It. it is just not public yet. There are some differences between uh, how Elixir and Erlang handles it. For example, when you have one slow backend in Elixir, then all your logging will suffer from it. With Erlang, each process needs to handle its own overload protection, which means that one slow handler will not cause your whole logging system to stall because other still can work as each one is handling the messages uh, independently. That sounds smarter, but is there a drawback to that? Is that more expensive then? Is that more taxing? It is like more complex to write proper handlers. On one hand, you can make them more performant because you can do a lot of stuff. There is less message passing when it is not needed. But on the other hand, it is much harder to write and to and make it work properly with the rest of the, of your system. So if you are new to the stuff, just keep writing Elixir backends and you'll be good to go. <laughs> Don't try to be super smart with that. <laughs> I'll I'll just I'll just keep on trucking. So it sounds like from what you were saying that as a normal user of like an Elixir system that this wouldn't cause a, a problem for an existing system, is that right? That was part of the Elixir promises. Elixir use semantic versioning. So I couldn't introduce any breaking change, even if I wanted to. The <laughs> one I wanted to very hard was that Elixir by default is using debug as a default logging level, which I find super 
Erlang is using notice level, which wasn't in the Elixir before 1.12, I believe, 1, 1.11. It was not even the log, logging level because we have only four. Right now we have seven. Th- that was the thing that I wanted to change, mostly because in pro- when in production, for example, you forget to change the log level, you can log a little bit too much, which is like not good thing. I believe there were some leaks, like a huge leaks of some companies had a huge problems because they were leaking some credentials into their log system because that probably was the reason someone used incorrect logging level like debug or or trace or whatever to log confidential data and it ended in their uh, log system yeah i I can see why you would say okay yeah it's worth a breaking change just let's just solve this problem make it be info level or or something else higher than debug by default so people don't have to remember to do that i think when you generate a new project it'll automatically do that but if you were to remove that configuration in the prod config then you could get yourself into trouble what we as users will see as a difference is previously, like with the Elixir logger that we're familiar with, there were four levels of logger, the lowest being debug, then info, warn, and error. And now we're seeing seven. I just want to go through them just because they might be new and we can talk about what that means. But like the lowest is debug for, you know, normal debug related stuff. Info for information of any kind. Notice for normal but significant messages warning for something that is an actual warning error for errors critical for critical conditions alert for alerts actions that must be taken immediately like corrupted databases that seems pretty serious and emergency when a system is unusable and panics so it's, it's interesting that there's this new range of messages actually that range is like way older it is coming from syslog so uh, people that are into ops are probably more familiar with uh, that range uh, because, mm-hmm. as I said, it is like a syslog, like a standard logging facility for Unix since Unix 5, probably, or even earlier. So there were like this seven levels and it is like Erlang provided us with seven levels so let's expose to elixir developers all seven levels because why not yep it is not that you need to change your system in any way to facilitate facilitate this new levels okay that makes sense then like this is just the way a lot of operations management has been done and this is what's built into unix let's expose that into Erlang. And then with your work, it's like, well, let's make it available in Elixir. So yes, it's available to us. If we had some special need for the differentiating of those levels, we could, but there's no reason to make a change to use them now, right? Yeah, there is no, there, there is no need. It is like we had that possibility. So add it because who knows who will need it in the future. Mm-hmm. But right now, it is not really needed. The funny thing, for example, when you are logging to syslog, for example, journal D in, in systemd enabled system, and you send their emergency messages, then this message will show on all current sessions that are in, in the system. 
So if you are connected by SSH to your system and your colleague is connected to SSH to, to the same system via SSH, then if there is an emergency syst- uh, message coming from any running process in, in, in the whole system, then both of you will not, you will see that message coming on your screen and screaming at you. There was emergency happening somewhere, but in most cases, it is not really needed, needed for anything unless you are, I don't know, running telephone, like the old ADM three telephone booth or the, 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 sw- the telephone switch and you want to say that the system is like completely unusable. There is no nothing you can do other than shut it down and bring it back again. In honestly, in modern world, I don't think that I have ever seen anyone use emergency message anymore <laughs> because there like there's really no need. Most of the stuff is like automatically operating. So, for example, when you have some watchdog or any health checking system in your Kubernetes cluster or on your Raspberry Pi, you are using watchdog when your system is unresponding, then it will shut itself down and bring it up again. So we have found to do it an Erlang way without such messages. There is no need for a human to push the button. Earlier in our discussion, you mentioned like structured logging was a major goal and motivation. I'd love to hear about how these changes either make that possible now, or are you able to accomplish the goals that you originally set out for? Yeah, previous version of Logger, it was like we could log only text messages. It was pretty simple and pretty useful for most of the human-operated operations. But like I said, the structured logging is was mostly meant for having it in computer-to-computer communication. It is like mostly mo- mostly useful. So, for example, when you have an operator and you, for example, use Datadog or any other centralized logging system, then you can provide that additional information there, which allows you then to not process that uh, to to not need for additional processing of your of your messages just extract the data that is already there you can still show the human readable message for the operator but there are all additional information can be can be there even in the past i had similar project that was called lumberjack which was plug project that was providing you with the nice viewer for the logs it is quite inactive right now maybe someday i will find time to revive it but you have that information you can also provide that additional information for for the operator that is not in the textual representation or it can be in binary format or it can be in any other kind of format that is not really representable in textual format and also you can provide additional information like you said you can provide a stack trace but additional to stack trace you can have some other information over there for the 
centralized logging system to to present. So you're talking about different logging handlers. A company I worked at before, the ops team said, hey, we really want these messages to come out in JSON format because it's going to work a whole lot better. And we want to take, you know, how logger, you can have metadata, like that key value attached to a logger message. And we want to be able to take those and put those as special keys on these messages so that they come out as JSON keys. And so I ended up doing that. I had to kind of wrap and replace the way the logger worked, the Elixir logger, to get it JSON formatted like that. So it sounds like that should be a whole lot easier now. Is there anything that's built in and already available, or is this something we still have to build ourselves? I haven't really checked how uh, Elixir currently handles uh, the structured logging. Uh, I remember that I needed to fix some issues because not all messages were representable in textual format and it, it was failing. But there's also one another thing that I forgot earlier in Erlang Logger, you have something called filters. So you can filter which messages are going to be presented and sent to, to whatever handler it is. You can have global filters that are filtering your messages for all handlers and also per handler filters. So for example, each of your handlers can receive different messages coming from different parts of your system. And yes, people were using metadata, ab let's say abusing a little bit metadata for that structured logging to provide them with JSON or whatever they format they wanted. The thing is that for me, metadata is for metadata, like data that describe what, what will be in the log, like the line where the log was sent, function from which what was sent, the process it was conta was containing that messages. And not all of that data is later useful for the operator. So you can have that metadata to like connect the messages with each other. And then you have data in the log, which are in also structure format. And these data are the source, the raison d'etre of the of the log messages that you will then process, read, process, and and then do some stuff with with it later. Yeah, maybe I was abusing some of it with the log or with the metadata, because <laughs> I know a common thing that we see with the metadata is what you kind of talked about is like a request ID. Like put that in there so that a lot of the logger messages that are associated with this request are all tied together because that request ID kind of goes all the way through without me having to pass it along. It's just set as a context for the logger process. That is perfect example of the, what I think should be in the in the metadata. The data that allows you to connect messages that these logs are connected to each other. Yeah, and that makes sense. Well, I would love to talk about another cool feature that I saw and I was like, wow, this is really neat, is the idea of overriding the log level for a single module. So here's the situation I could see. Wow, we really need to have some debug information on this. We're not sure why this is happening. But if I turn on debug info, then yeah, I might be leaking secrets. And if that's in production, it's going to be super noisy, it might overwhelm and use up, you know, if I'm exporting all my logs to an external provider that aggregates it all, then it's like, not good. But I love the idea of being able to turn on debug level logging for 
a very narrow focus, like a single module, but not everywhere, maybe a single process. I'd love to hear anything you can share about how that works. In short, it was implemented in, uh, by the Erlang team. It was not implemented in by me or anyone in the Elixir. It is fully on the Erlang side. So by the beginning, it was like an ETS table that was checked for each log message. It, of course, there were some additional stuff going on to make it more performant and all mumbo jumbo here. In short, like I said earlier, we have filters in the Erlang logger. They are called primary, primary, I believe, filters. First filter that is ever encountered is like log level filter. And yes, right now we can change the filter level per application or per module. Like per application is like a hack to extract all the modules from the application specification and then it is traversing it and setting it for all the modules in that application but we can change it per module actually elixir what elixir added i believe is that you can disable logs per module you cannot change per per process you i believe you cannot lower i mean you cannot increase the verbosity of single process, you can only uh, increase verbosity of single module in Elixir, in log current logging. So you can disable, okay, I don't want to see any messages coming from this process. The, the, the thing which was implemented later after that huge merge was global metadata in logging. So right now there is, I don't know if it is exposed by Elixir yet, but it was implemented by me in Erlang. And right now you can have like a global global metadata in your logs. For example, if you want to have your application version in your logs, you can provide a global metadata in configuration and then it will be propagated to any log that in the system that is currently running. That's interesting. I can see that being helpful, especially when you're watching aggregated combined logs from multiple, like a cluster of machines and a rollout is happening and you're like, oh, I see this one has a different version now and that's when I see this problem show up is when the versions are out of sync or whatever. That would be helpful information. That's really cool. Yeah, that was the the main reason why I did it because that that was the behavior that I had in mind. You You are doing a rollout and you have multiple versions of your application running at the same time and you want to correlate that log message to single version of your of your application or i don't know single node because you can also contain a node id here so you'll be able okay on that machine that single machine cannot connect for example to your to our database that is something that is very useful uh, for operators especially in larger projects, because in smaller projects, you have like much less traffic and also a lot of less nodes. And in bigger deployments where you have multiple nodes, or for example, I once upon a time, I was working on the project where we were deploying system on-premises and each system was updated independently from each other. So such system for having metrics and telemetry 
for each single node and we know that it is this node and it is running this version, then it, it, it would really help. But I left the project before it was implemented and this whole thing was implemented. Well, I would love to get a little background or insight as to why this took so long. This was like three and a half years from the time the PR started to say, yes, this is worth doing. We want to do it to getting merged and fully merged in. It hasn't been released yet. Is this going to be part of Elixir 1.15? I don't know. I would need to check because I am not actively working on it right now. Mm -hmm. The reason why it was taking so long is simple because we need to coordinate between Erlang and Elixir. We needed to polish some things in the uh, in the Erlang and expose some additional stuff from the Erlang to, for Elixir to work. For example, in the beginning, there was no way to use different output servers. I believe it is called like that in Erlang. So we needed to use to, to, to provide that. We needed to provide to allow Erlang formatter to use binaries as and values in, in their specification of the log message as uh, it was using only uh, character lists. So stuff like that took time to coordinate between each parties. And the last thing that is left over here is that Elixir supports much more OTP version than OTP supports their own versions. I believe that OTP team right now supports, uh, but, but even not even that we needed to wait because like, for example, in OTP 21, when, when something was not supported and it was added in OTP 22 or OTP 73, then we need to wait with, uh, with using that fully till we are supporting only OTP 23 or later. So that is that is the reason why it was taking so long because we needed to coordinate dropping features that that are not adding new features. We needed to coordinate with support uh, of OTP versions. That makes a lot of sense. I was sitting here wondering, this must have been a huge undertaking, but really it's just coordinating so many moving parts and the timing of everything. And, and you have to appreciate like the work that goes into Elixir making all of these incremental changes without breaking anything is it's got to be like surgical type precision <laughs> yeah sometimes it is like and you then cause some havoc because you forgot about that that one tiny edge case yeah. obscure feature that was somewhere over there and you even forgot that it is there and right now it it broke someone pipeline or whatever because yeah and you need to hop and uh, fix that but uh, Jose is robot from the future and uh, <laughs> he's uh, online almost always so fortunately uh, we can uh, merge th stuff uh, quite fast so you were mentioning that there was coordination between the teams that erlang changes were required I'm guessing that none of this was waiting on OTP 26 necessarily, or was it? Is there any features that were coming out in OTP 26? You're like, okay, yes, now this can go. If, if this is paired with OTP 26, then it works really well. But because you're talking about backward compatibility. 
I don't remember any such such thing. It was mostly that we are dropping OTP 23, I believe, in next version of OTP 24. Okay. Uh, I believe OTP 23, so we can use features that was introduced in OTP 24 fully. So right now we will be able, that, that is the thing, not that OTP 23 is coming out and we can use features from there. It is like we are dropping OTP 23 and we can use the features from OTP 24 fully and expose them without any additional hacks or whatever. So that's that's the problem. Not not the new version that are coming, but the the thing that the Elixir team is dropping support for older versions. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I know a lot of the features that we're talking about and that we're excited are really just the Erlang features. They're what's in the Erlang logger that's now made available through the work that that unifies them. So I'm just curious do you primarily do Erlang work or are you primarily an Elixir developer? Like which one are you primarily working with? Uh, currently, I'm mostly working with Elixir. In general, I was working mostly in Elixir. I spotted Erlang before I was working with Elixir, but it never really hooked. Uh, later, I started work as an Elixir developer. I was coming from Ruby, like probably a lot of uh, developers. So I came from the Ruby, I started working with Elixir. I learned how OTP works by Elixir. And then I started, came to Erlang once again. And I then I understood why it is like it is. And uh, right now I am working mostly with Elixir. I had some Erlang jobs, but I, I can easily switch between these two because for me it is like only a syntax difference not much the the mindset is the same just like you are pr- probably missing some nice features in Elix- from elixir in erlang but but on the other hand sometimes you miss features from erlang in elixir it is both ways yeah so are there any particular features that you're most excited about like a favorite feature that you're going to be getting from the erlang logger that's now being made available from this work uh, I think the global metadata is like my, my most desirable feature, uh, mostly because I implemented it in both Erlang and Elixir. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that 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 is like my personal personal thingy. The the thing that I also like in Erlang logger. In Elixir, you have backend, and backend is like a conjunction of formatting and dispatching of messages to, to external storage. And in Erlang, these two things are separated from each other. So it make much more configurable stuff. So for example, you can provide a JSON formatter and then use it with a TCP or UDP or a standard output or whatever different format you want yeah the, the, the different transport you want so that's 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 also the thing that probably would bring a lot of new ideas and new new stuff to to logging i i would also like to see an integration between telemetry and logger like these two cooperating a little bit more together with each other because it is possible 
the, these two works very similarly to each other, to be honest. So for me, telemetry is just logging system, just with different name. It's true. <laughs> it's true. When you think about it that way, yes. It's just a, a specialized logger. More general logger. A more general logger? Yeah. Nice. Well, we are about out of time. If people want to get in touch with you and maybe follow you online or, or see anything else you're doing, where should they go to do that? Probably on uh, Fostodon right now. Hi, I am just like moving out of Twitter, especially with a uh, new management. <laughs> I am on Slack and on uh, Elixir Discord or Elixir Forum and Elixir IRC. So probably any public channel for Elixir that there is, uh, you can find me there. Uh, so honestly, uh, any any will do as long as you are willing to contribute. I am always open to some discussion with. I just checked the currently in development Elixir change log, and it looks like these changes will be part of the 1.15 release, which is exciting. So that means I haven't played with any of this yet. I haven't, you know, been pulling off of the main branch and and trying any of this stuff out. But I am looking forward to some of these improvements. And like you said, there are a lot of different directions people could go with this, you know, either a, a built in like a, a library, maybe that provides a JSON formatted logger for people to just automatically be able to easier hook into other systems, or a TCP transport where it's like, oh, I maybe I have a bunch of small nodes like nerves devices, and I don't want to have logs on all these different machines. So maybe they can be sending their logs to a central nerves little hub. That would be interesting. And you know, that that's possible too. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. And uh, I I just appreciate all the work that you put into it. And you didn't give up. After two years in, you're like, ah, oh, this is, just forget this. This is never going to go anywhere. No, it, it was going, it, it was always going somewhere. It was like very small steps and the <laughs> pain in the ass that we cannot do it yet because the OTP 23 is not supporting it right now. It was like, I wanted to do the small things. On the other hand, it was easy because you were seeing all the small steps going further and further. So you are mm -hmm. constantly seeing that stuff is changing and adding up to the common goal. So that's the bright idea that was here. So the, the small steps are very important here. Awesome. Well, congratulations on getting that very long running, but really significant and important part of the Elixir ecosystem and the tooling that we rely on. Congratulations on getting that all merged in and finished. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.